Hey, welcome to Adventures in Angular, the podcast where we keep you updated on all things Angular related. This show is produced by two companies, Top End Devs and Envoy. Top End Devs is where we create top end devs to get top end pay and recognition while working on interesting problems and making meaningful community contributions. And Envoy, which provides remote design and software development services on a performance basis, where clients only pay for delivered tasks. In today's episode, we will talk about several utility libraries for Angular. And what they all have in common is that they were all created or co-created by Alex Inkin. We're going to talk about mainly three projects that he has. One is called Taiga UI. It's a powerful set of open source components for Angular. We're also going to talk about Web APIs for Angular, which is a set of utility wrappers for Angular on top of native web technologies. And we're also going to talk about Mosquito, which is an input masking library. Okay, so my name is Lucas Paganini, as you may be aware. I'm the CEO of Unvoid and your host in the podcast. Joining me in today's episode is obviously Alexander Inkin. Hi, everyone. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm going to give a brief introduction of Alex, but I would also uh, like you to, to tell us a bit more about yourself, Alex. But uh, what I think are important highlights for everybody to know is, first off, Alex is an Angular wizard. So he is an Angular GDE already certified. Uh, he works as a front-end developer. He is also a tech writer, musician, and an open source author. And yeah, this is just the main highlight. But how would you present yourself, Alex? Yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well. Uh, my most uh, work is done in open source for the past uh, maybe three years or so. Um, that's because we pushed our main project, Taiga UI, to open source like three years ago. And ever since then, I've been working uh, full-time on open source projects. And uh, some of them were released prior to that. Most of them came out from the Taiga UI development because it's like a huge project. And uh, myself and uh, the guys I work with are big fans of decomposition. So before Taiga UI went live, we had a, a lot of small libraries that we published separately, like ones that uh, focus on particular uh, situations, uh, regardless of your UI library. Like uh, we have um, ng event plugins library, which extends uh, Angular event handling with some really helpful quality of life stuff. Like you could write click point stop to stop event propagation or click point prevent to prevent default. You can uh, run your handlers outside of change detection and uh, other things like that. Uh, one thing that was really uh, um, impossible to do in Angular before is to listen to events in capture phase. So it, with our library, you can just write click point capture and it would listen to events when they uh, traverse DOM downwards in the capture phase, not bubbling up. So that's really helpful in some case when you want to, for example, react to some event before any other handler because that happened earlier. So uh, once we had a few of those libraries up, uh, we had enough experience in maintaining open source projects with uh, you know, change logs, uh, clear releases, uh, pre-tier, linters, and all that. Uh, so we decided it's time to push our main stuff up. And uh, it took us maybe a year to prepare it properly so that everybody's happy with it. And uh, we had uh, our designers to come up with a public theme because we didn't want the proprietary theme to be released to open source. Um, and uh, mostly everybody was supportive, which is cool because, I mean, managers in our team were mostly engineers and they see the value in open source. So there was not much pushback for that. And I'm really glad now that it's up there on GitHub because it's a huge motivation to work when it's out there in the public. Um, 
So I'm an excited open source contributor, mostly for my own projects though, but I need some contributions to other projects as well. Nice, nice. And I think I can speak for everyone when we say that we are glad that these projects were open sourced. So yeah, congrats to you, but also to to the company that is supporting some of these projects because it's just really cool. Not not every company is going to to pay their developers and their team members to work on open source projects. So it's really nice that you are on a team and on a company that values open source. Nice. Okay. And yeah, so let, let's get into it. We have a lot to talk about. And so let's see from, from these, t- these three libraries, um, which one do you think is the most interesting for us to to get started to introduce everyone to it i think web apis for angular is probably the most helpful to most people because uh it doesn't have any ties to some particular design or anything like that it's a bunch of very isolated tiny libraries that can help you work with uh, many native apis that are uh, not that well suited for angular because you know Native API uses a lot of callbacks and imperative uh, programming. In Angular, we, we use RxJS streams, we use declarative directives. So the paradigm is a bit different. And uh, many developers who work with frameworks don't really go deep into the native uh, behavior of JavaScript and DOM events and all that. So it's uh, it's going to make their lives a lot easier. So this is probably the project I would like people to check out first. It's uh, it, it most likely has something that you would uh, need to use. Okay, let's get into it. So first, let's just talk about it from an uh, end-user perspective, like the value that it provides. Um, not everyone will be able to to get on the website right now. So if you can, uh, you can just look for Web APIs for Angular on Google. You're probably going to arrive at this website. But if not, the link is ng dash web dash apis dot github.io um, and as soon as you enter this page you're gonna see a list of all the libraries that are supported into this this umbrella of web api wrappers and from here we have things for to interact with the audio uh, the web audio API, the Canvas API, the intersection observer, geolocalization, MIDI. Uh, so for all of you musicians out there or just anyone that wants users to be able to control the application with other uh, peripherals, not just mouse and keyboard, that might be interesting to you. Uh, there's also utilities for mutation observer, payment request, um, resize observer, Web Storage API, Web Workers. Um, there, there's just so much here. Uh, which yeah, which actually, I think it's yeah. an old link. Uh, it used to be a whole organization on GitHub uh, with separate repositories, but we decided to move it in one monorepo. And I think that link mm-hmm. that you told is the old one, so it might not have everything to have at the moment. Uh, the new one is on Taiga Family GitHub. Um, you are friends with the link. I mean, I'll send it to you in chat. Maybe you can share it some later in, in the description or something like that. So since then, we've added like a couple. Uh, one is the View Transition API, which is the new hip stuff on Twitter. You know, it's only supporting Chrome, but we made some little wrapper to use it in Angular and RxJS, and uh, also Notification API, so you can. Uh, use RxJS streams to show notifications on your website. And uh, th- this thing keeps growing and growing because whenever we need some API in our projects, in our work, we just uh, go there and add it because it's uh, it's going to be helpful to somebody, not just us. And uh, it's great to have this not in some project uh, uh, where it's used, but like an as isolated API. And also we have some experience with how to make it uh, usable you know like to to support 
most of use cases because uh, uh, UI, the library that we worked on, has a lot of components and there's a lot of uh, various scenarios that people use them with. So we, we had a lot of practice making the APIs flexible. So that's kind of our thing. So nice. On that report, there. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, there are indeed things that in this new link that you sent that weren't in the previous one. By the way, I got the link from the previous one from your uh, website. So you have your My Project yeah, section. I need to update it. Yeah. yeah, it was it was from there. But anyways, yeah, man. <laughs> I was already thinking that there were too much, and and now there's even more. But that's that's awesome. Um, oh, I feel was free to create an issue if you need some API that is not yet supported. So. I will. I will. Um, so the one that I was going to ask was the view transition. I was going to ask if you somehow made it increase the browser support through it, or if you just no, we, expect we browser don't uh, interfere with any of native APIs. We just make wrappers for them. Uh, one thing that uh, is like a how to say it, but with the exception is the one that is currently in the works or it was just released, the screen orientation API, because it was available previously, but the API was different. And uh, now there's official one with uh, window.screen.orientation and uh, uh, we've made the, the fallback to the old API if you don't, your browser don't have the recent one, uh, but mostly we just uh, make the, the recent version of the code. So if you use some old browser, check out the browser support for native API because we don't provide any polyfills, but you can mm -hmm. find them and include them separately. Which of these libraries do you see people using the most on their projects? Surprisingly, Intersection Observer, I think, is one of the most downloaded and used. Uh, also, definitely the, the common library, the one that we base all of other libraries upon. It's basically just a collection of tokens for global objects like window, navigator, user agent, and all that. Because uh, in Angular, you're not really supposed to access global objects directly because you can run the server-side rendering or you can uh, need have a need to test them in uh, unit tests and it would be much easier to uh, supplement your uh, app with uh, fallbacks and uh, mocks for server side, so uh, this is when it all thing this whole thing started because you know in Angular you have a document token which is just the, the document object, but there's a lot of other global objects that you need to use. And uh, uh, once we started to put them in uh, one big collection, we decided to release it into open source, and uh, then all other libraries they rely on the common one, which has like um, maybe ten tokens, window, user agent, uh, location, all that. So this is this one is obviously the most downloaded because everything else relies upon it. But from uh, the general collection of all those APIs, Intersection Observer is probably the most uh, used. I personally use Resize Observer a lot because the fact that we you don't have a resize event for an element just for the window is very restricting, especially if you're making a UI library that should work in different uh, devices, different screen resolutions. So that, that one is very useful too. Mm. Okay, so you're basically using the Resize Observer wrapper as a fallback for the lack of browser support for container queries. Kind of like that, yeah. When we created it, I think there was no container queries at all. <laughs> Maybe there were some under some flag in Chrome or something like that. Uh, but uh, it's a good example of how our libraries work because uh, the underlying thing is basically an RxJS wrapper on the native API. Instead of fallbacks, we have a RxJS stream and we have a directive that exposes this stream as an output so you can use it in templates. And uh, this whole thing is very, very tiny and uh, highlights the approach very well. So when, whenever you have a callback in native API, you're going to use a RxJS stream. Whenever you have some classes that are created imperatively, like uh, observers, instead of new resize observer, 
uh, you would use a directive to put it on a HTML element that you want to observe. And uh, um, we also use DI for configurations that you can provide with directives as well. So that's a good thing to dig into the source code to see probably good patterns for your own development. Gotcha. By the way, um, this might be a little sidetracked, but now I wanted to, to ask you if you have actually used container queries in a real project thus far, because the last time I checked, the browser support was very little, but I just opened Can I Use? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Is that correct? It's 88% of global browser support for container queries is just, it seems that it's only not supported on Internet Explorer. But other than that, everything else is green. So that's another subject on its own, but it may be really interested in using the native implementation. Yeah, I, I also queries. get uh, surprised by this page because, I mean, time flies really fast. And whenever I thought like, Someday we can use native dialogues and voila, they're all available in all browsers already. So uh, the problem here is that our library has to support all the browsers as well. And uh, we have a lot of uh, customers and clients using old Safari. So that's the, the biggest bottleneck. We have to support Safari 12. And then the next major release, we'll probably bump it to Safari 13. And uh, back then it's like, three, four years ago, I think four. And uh, a lot of those things were not there yet. So that's why I might be a little rusty on the modern API because I just have no way to use them. And whenever I use them, I just play around on CodePen or uh, StackBlitz to just try it out, maybe create some helpful tip or some cool demo or something like that, but uh, not in my production code. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so you personally use the Resize Observer the most. Most people installing uh, the libraries are using the Intersection Observer the most. That's interesting. I also note that you have one for Universal. Um, what does it do exactly? Uh, it's a type safe fallbacks for server-side renderer for all the global objects like Windows, user agent, location, all that. Uh, you know, some things you can grab from the request on the server side. So whenever you serve your uh, page from the server, you can uh, grab uh, the headers, I think, right, from the request and uh, see what browser the user is using through the user agent. So these things you can provide on the server, even though it's a client-side thing. And for the other things, it's mostly just a type safe fallback. So you will never run into cannot read properties, fun defined, or anything like that if you serve your app both client side and server side. And um, these are basically just fallbacks. Gotcha. But still, people can't just directly reference window, right? They are going to have yes. to inject it into the constructor and then... Yeah, they, they will inject the token window that is from the common package and uh, uh, you will just uh, install the universal package in, in your server part of your app. You will just import the module with all the tokens uh, like window and user agent and all that with the server-side fallbacks. So during your app development, it doesn't really matter if you're working with server-side or client-side code. It would be seamless. That's the one of the biggest advantages of dependency injection in such cases. Uh, the, the second one is the easy to unit test your code because you can substitute all those things with fallbacks, with uh, mocks, and uh, uh, just test that your app working properly. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so it's not that the universal library exposes extra tokens. It just exposes server-side versions of the tokens that are exported yes, by the common. Okay. Okay. And it sense. also has a very tiny polyfill JS file that just creates mocks of uh, global classes like intersection observer in a type safe manner. So it would just not crash if you reference that class and it's undefined. Okay. You also mentioned one uh, for notifications. 
Um, yeah, it's the new one, so it's not on that page. Okay, but it's already stable. Like people. Yes, it's stable in terms of notifications API, but we also wanted to include push, so you can do that with a, a service worker. Unfortunately, the Angular uh, service that they provide does not have uh, a notification close event, and uh, we really need that. So uh, we haven't yet finalized the, the second half of this app. So the, the, this library, I mean. And the, the guy that was working on it went to the vacation to clear his head because that's like a lot of things to think about. <laughs> so uh, You said fine. that... You said that you already have support for the web notifications API, but not for push notifications. Yes, that's right. Um, the API there is quite different, even though the at the end they look the same. It's a you know the notification in your screen. The notification API has one thing, and the push API has very different API. Instead of like listening to click events on your notification instance to see what button user clicked. You have a, one huge stream of click events and you have to determine which uh, notification was clicked and all that. So that's what I kind of often have to grapple with is that native APIs, they were designed some time ago, then they were improved because people tried them and find some things not easy to use. And then they were improved again and something like that. It's mostly visible in the audio API because uh, at some point it was callbacks, then it was promises, then uh, they they just keep adding methods to change parameters in uh, like exponential, linear fashion and uh, uh, to be able to track the callbacks of those changing parameters. Everything was like a layered cake with uh, things built on top of another. And that's also one thing that is great about those libraries is that you don't have to uh, wrap your head around some different paradigms. You just can use the familiar uh, things like RxJS streams and uh, declarative directives instead of trying to figure out how this thing works with the native browser. Gotcha. So... When you when you mentioned the notifications API, um, it was the the first version of it which didn't support it. Uh, push gotcha. And and by the way, I I always just reference notifications as just calling them notifications, but but referencing them as push notifications. Um, I didn't really looked much into this first version of the notifications API from what I can see uh, this one only works if the page or the tab whatever is still open is that yes, correct? that's correct it's um, like when you go to some other page and maybe it notifies you that it finished some processing mm -hmm. uh, the, that's the biggest difference because uh, the notifications are mostly uh, initiated by the client code and uh, the push the notifications they mostly initiate by some server service worker, uh, even if your site, website is closed, something like that, and that's why the API is different. But there are valid use cases for both of those, so we would like to support them all, and uh, ideally in a similar fashion. Even though you mostly gonna use push API to push some server side events instead of initiating them from your Angular app, it's still gonna be better to have this, the same API to work with them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. Nice. Okay. So, of course, we're not going to have time to go over all of them, but anyone who is listening to this, I highly encourage you to go check out this repository and each of these libraries because a lot of them seem very, very interesting. Um I got to say, I got really interested in the payment request because the last time that I, I took a look at this feature, I didn't notice many other applications using it. And then I just let it go. But now that I'm seeing it here, I'm like kind of remembering about that and thinking, hmm, maybe that there's something that we can improve in the UX of our product by using that and simplify the 
the payment. And the fact that you already provide a wrapper for Angular is just so much easier. That's yeah, really that nice. library is like one of the first. It's also a good example of using directives to declaratively create an object because it would work well in a um, checkout page where you see your basket with all the items and every every item is going to be a directive of an item in the payment request and the button at the end will just create an object for you and uh, uh, resolve the promise. You will just need to provide all the payment op- uh, payment uh, providers, I think. I don't re- really remember <laughs> that, that API because it was a few years ago and it was mostly done by my friend Roman uh, who worked with um, Taiga UI, but uh, you can check it out if you have a uh, e-commerce Angular web app, it would probably be helpful for you. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Uh, let's talk about some of the other projects that you have on your belt. So we have Taiga and also Mosquito. I think just for the spirit of, for the spirit of talking about utilities, uh, maybe talking about Mosquito first would make more sense since it's more flexible and people can use in their own designs. Uh, but yeah, so what is Mosquito? <clears throat> sure. Mosquito is a library to uh, add masking to your input fields and text areas. Um, it was uh, something we created pretty recently, I think maybe three, four months ago, maybe half a year, <laughs> really. And uh, this is something we've been cooking for quite some time because uh, we had an old uh, masking library in our uh, Taiga UI library, which we used for um, input fields for data, I mean, for dates, for numbers, and uh, for credit card numbers, you know, like you would put the spaces uh, between four uh, digits when you enter the, the credit card number. So, And uh, that library we used got... Uh, dropped by its maintainer like a few months after we decided to use it and uh, it had collected some issues that were hard to fix on our side and uh, the code was outdated with all the uh, new common js and all, new um, bundlers and all that and angular started to uh, give us warnings about it and uh, we knew we had to come up with some different solution and um, we went to and explored other options that we have. There were quite a few of uh, popular libraries, but uh, they all had the disadvantage. Most of them had that that they are also supported by open source enthusiasts that could easily drop the support. And uh, we have like a multi-million uh, user base business here, so we cannot really rely on that. And uh, we didn't like the APIs that much. Uh, the library that we used was pretty flexible with not much of uh, flags for corner cases and a lot of masking libraries uh, are looking like a UN convention with, with a lot of flags to uh, support some fringe cases, corner cases and all that. And this is not really what we strive for when we design our APIs. So we decided to create our own and uh, it was not mostly engineered by me. It was engineered by uh, a colleague of mine who also worked on Taiga UI. Uh, it was like his first big project that he architected and uh, me and the other uh, colleagues helped him a bit. And uh, the structure of this library is that it has a very small core library that does not rely on any uh, frameworks. It can be used with the vanilla JS application. It's all built with strict TypeScript, but it can work with just basic uh, JavaScript application. And on top of that, we have uh, several packages, uh, one for use with Angular, one to use it with React, and the one to use it with Vue. So they provide simple ways to uh, use them with frameworks, like a directive with Angular and Vue and a React hook for React. and uh, uh, the, there's another library called Kit, which has all a lot of uh, pre-configured masks that you can just plug and use. Uh, they have helpers to create them with different settings, like a helper to create a numbers mask that pro- allows you to 
provide different uh, characters as a thousand separates or as a, a fraction separator because you know we need to support international apps and uh, every country has different standard there and uh, also you can use the helpers to create a date mask with the day first month first whichever format you prefer and uh, this library is something that expands upon the core uh, API with, with just uh, ready-to-use and tested uh, helpers that uh, can help you start using this library in your app. M- most of the things that you're going to use Mask for is covered there. So it's numbers, dates, credit cards, and uh, uh, it's going to expand uh, once we cover more cases, like maybe an email mask, uh, URL mask, and things like that. And uh, the the core API is very flexible and tiny. It has uh, the array of uh, regex and uh, fixed characters. It has some uh, preprocessors, postprocessors that you can use to uh, control the uh, mask better and uh, uh, some other things that you can explore on the demo portal. It has pretty good documentation there. The main thing that makes the, this mask stand out, I think, in my opinion, is that it mostly works well with Caret because all the masking solutions that I've used before uh, at some point had the Caret jumping to different uh, places when you write something that is autocorrective, like when you type a date and uh, put 32 in a day and it's uh, changed to uh, 31 if it's January. 28 if it's February and the, the caret might jump before the date or at the very end of the string if you edit it in the middle. So these things is what we focused on to, to get right. And uh, it also works with the Shadow DOM because the event DOM events work a little bit different in Shadow DOM and some masking solutions uh, have issues there. It also works with uh, server-side rendering because it does not access any global objects directly. and uh, Basically, it's uh, the mask solution that we hope is going to be the holy grail of masking for the web. And uh, we're going to keep improving it. If we find some issues there, feel free to file a a ticket. One thing that got us very excited is that uh, Ionic framework, which is kind of well-known one, uh, start exploring the masking for their new version, I think Ionic, Ionic 7. Uh, and when they were exploring what they can do, they liked our API and uh, we got in touch with them and we ended up being their official solution uh, that they recommend on their documentation portal and uh, examples how to use mask with ionic fields. And uh, uh, that got us a little bit more exposure. And uh, I really hope more people check out Maskito because this is the project I'm really proud of from my team and I hope that people check it out. Speaking for myself, um, thus far, every time I wanted input masking, I used iMask just because it looks like the status quo for for input masking libraries. Um, But I got to say, I was looking at the docs for Mosquito and... It makes me consider the switch very heavily. It's just, I'm just, if it were a new project, I would probably just go ahead and use Mosquito from the start. Uh, I don't know if I would just go ahead and migrate the projects that I have just because I never really had a problem with iMask besides Angular Universal. I got to say that that was a headache for a while, uh, but then they fixed it. Uh, they they also have a, a specific library for Angular and um, like a few months after I had my my headaches with Angular Universal, they released a new version that worked with server-side rendering. So I don't really have anything to complain there, but I really like how everything is just done using TypeScript. So I have type safety in everything that I import from Mosquito. I also really like that... Um, how easy it is to use it with Angular. I can see the code uh, of you using it with Angular. And it, it's just a simple directive that you add to 
inputs and text area elements. So really, really easy to use. I, I really like that. I, I even, and maybe I like it more the fact that I can very easily call the function to format a string directly instead of necessarily having an input element or a text area element. That seems useful. I don't know when I would use it, but that sure. does. But whichever tool helps you to achieve your goal, it's the best. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to use something next time from scratch, you could try it out. Uh, Mosquito has a lot of freedom with uh, the API, so it would probably be able to cover any case you use. But uh, what I like about it is that uh, once we finalize some things on our own apps like number mask or date mask. We just release it as a ready to use helper for you to configure the mask. And uh, I believe that uh, with time, there are going to be even more helpers that would be able to just kickstart the development of any mask you might need. Definitely, definitely. But very, very cool. I'm definitely going to pay a lot of attention to this library. Um, and then the other one that we haven't touched on yet is Taiga. And, oh man, every one of these projects, like we could do an entire episode, but, uh, <laughs> <The wife. laughs> uh, uh, so any one of these projects, we could do an entire episode on them, but Let's just introduce Taiga to everyone. And what's interesting is that two episodes ago, I think it was two or three, we had an episode with Danny Paredes. Uh, I'm not sure if you know him, but he's also very well known in the Angular community. And we talked about UI libraries, like other options of UI libraries that exist besides Angular Material. There's this association that every Angular developer did with Oh, if I'm not going to use my custom uh, designed components, then I'm just going to use Angular Material. But hey, there are so many options out there. You don't need to use Angular Material. Nothing against it. It's a great library, but there are also other great libraries. So let's start with that. So first, I think the major question that a lot of Angular developers are going to have considering uh, Taiga is, why would anyone use Taiga and not Angular Material? Yeah, that's a question people ask a lot. And I'm not really good at answering that because I haven't used Angular Material for many years, mainly because I've created Taiga UI and used it ever since. And uh, I believe there's uh, more components ready for use than in Material. and uh, the big thing that I like Taiga for is that it's very uh, composable. So whenever somebody comes to me at work and asks, how can I make this component if it's not there? I can quickly throw out, throw together a, a demo of just combining the existing components together. Uh, so I really have a sense of, you know, having a Lego building blocks that you can uh, plug together easily to make something else. So this is uh, a good uh, point for Taiga because we have a lot of different designs and whenever some uh, component is used in multiple projects uh, simultaneously, we usually try to make it into a component built in with, in Taiga. But uh, most of those things can be easily made using existing ones. So I think it's been a while since we added a new component, really, because there's just like 150 of them, and uh, uh, mostly whichever you want, you can build already with like three lines of JavaScript and uh, composing directives together. And uh, I think it's probably not that hard to customize in terms of uh, design. We rely on uh, CSS variables to change the colors and border radiuses and things like that. And uh, we started using that even before they were supported by all browsers through the polyfill. Uh, it was working even in Internet Explorer before we went to open source. We had supported, but 
uh, three years ago we dropped Internet Explorer support, thankfully. And uh, uh, you can create some different uh, visuals for model windows for your input fields there. I think there are a few examples on the demo how to customize it. I, one page even shows how to make them look like Angular material uh, inputs and buttons. But uh, overall, I've seen some screenshots on questions from our users that uh, heavily changed the design. I think it's pr uh, quite popular among the cryptocurrency uh, platforms. I've uh, seen a lot of screenshots with different uh, apps that you that work around cryptocurrencies. And uh, overall, I just think it's good to have an option. You could try it and see if you like it. And, uh, most people who tried it gave us a good response that they find it very comfortable to work, to work with. So that's probably a good sign. I like that. It's um it's more like hey it, it's open source everyone so instead of just looking for an answer of using angular material or taiga just take a look at it play around and then you decide that that makes sense to me I, people um, might worry because there's not much experienced people using taiga at the moment yeah. we've been around for a couple of years and we have like 2800 stars on github or something like that so it might be harder for you to find answers for your questions, but we also have a pretty uh, alive community on Discord. In Angular Discord, we have a channel for Taiga UI where we answer questions. Uh, you can file uh, issues and uh, discussions on GitHub. We also answer them regularly. So uh, this is something that you you can get your help with. I mean, you, you can try it and ask us if you have issues. Okay, that does make sense. And in terms of components or other functionalities that Angular Material may not have, but that Taiga has, uh, would you be able to to say if there are particular things that you're aware of that Angular Material doesn't cover and Taiga does? I think there's no input date time in Angular Material, which you can type the time and date in one controller. And also, uh, our controllers like these provide native uh, input fields for mobile. So if you open the page with your cell phone and uh, click on the date, you can configure it so that it would open a native uh, data picker on uh, Android or iOS, and, uh, native date time, native selects, uh, which is pretty cool. And uh, it has also a lot of uh, scaffolding around some custom things. I know uh, Material also have an um, Angular CDK library, which has the uh, basic building blocks for things like popovers, dropdowns, and all that. Uh, and uh, we also have a CDK library. I think we actually released it before uh, Material had it. At least we started working on it before. And uh, this is something I really like about Taiga is that it's built in uh, incremental uh, packages. The very low level one is Taiga UI slash CDK, which doesn't have anything related to UI. So you can just use it in any uh, application you want. It just has a lot of uh, helpful directives, helpful services, tools, and all that. On top of that, there's Taiga UI core library, which has the basic components like buttons, basic text field uh, hints and things like that. And on top of that, there's Taiga UI slash kit, which is a huge library of all the components built on top of those uh, foundations like date pickers, uh, sliders, uh, model windows, uh, alerts. Th there's quite a lot, so it's hard to... Uh, bring up some examples. You can go check out the demo portal because uh, there's quite a lot of the uh, components are there with examples on different uh, use cases. And also there's typically an API tab for each component where you can just change all the inputs uh, on the fly and see how it affects the component. So 
I, I like our documentation portal pretty much. Also, I can safely say that your library also has charts, which Angular Material doesn't have. Um, so charts are considered to be outside the scope of Angular Material, uh, the Angular Material library. And there are also some really interesting things under the experimental section, which probably yeah. people should not use yet since it's experimental, but I gotta say yeah, some I, of them. Think about it a little bit. Experimental is something we plan for the next major release because uh, our previous major release was over a year ago in August last year. And uh, a few months ago, our design team came up with new specifications for several components. And we decided instead of trying to maintain the backwards compatibility with previous API and loop of components like we used to do previously with the second major release, uh, right now we are on Taiga 3. And uh, I think by the end of the year, we will make a Taiga UI 4 the next major release. And uh, by that time, we will finalize all the experimental packages. So they will replace the components that are uh, right now. I mean, in the experimental package, you have a button and you also have a button in core uh, package. But uh, the experimental one is very much simplified. It has uh, much less code there. And uh, this is something that will replace button eventually. But there are also some new components such as uh, uh, fade in for the text that is uh, overflown. And, like instead of uh, putting an ellipsis on the end of the text, you can use fade in, you can scroll it and it will go away if you scroll to the end. Uh, there are some uh, other interesting stuff like a directive to hide sensitive information like credit card number or something like that on the screen. Uh, it pixelates that uh, thing there. So. I really like the the experimental package because this is uh, our chance to refactor old stuff and create some new stuff with all the experience we gathered over the years. And uh, I really like how it plays out. A lot of those components uh, end up mostly like directives rather than components, which is good because they don't have any templates. And maybe eventually we would move them into some uh, framework independent code like a pure JavaScript uh, basis, like, you know, Material, I think, in Angular now uses the Material components that are just JavaScript components with wrappers. Maybe it's something like that is uh, what we will end up in the future because currently we have also a React library in our company because some of our projects use Angular and some use React. And uh, of course, we would love to have a single component for both and maybe this is something that would be open to possibility after we refactor everything but that's maybe just dreams but anyway the experimental package is an interesting one and it's a good exercise i really hope sometimes to maybe do a master class or workshop on some of those components because it's really interesting to explore how they are decomposed from a huge task of like an date time input with a data picker with a masking solution and all that how you can come up with something like that and not uh, couple all the parts together too much this is a very uh, interesting topic that i think is not that much covered by the current angular articles or uh, workshops and speeches on conferences it's something i would like to explore in the future Nice. And, and yes, the documentation for Taiga is indeed really, really well done. I can very easily play with it and see what happens when I change the options. That I can't tell you how useful that is. A lot of times I have to actually install a library and change the, uh, the, a particular option just to actually see the visual results of it. And it's really cool that I can just do it here. You can also open it on Stack Blitz. I think every example has a button to open that particular example on Stack Blitz. And there's also a general uh, button on top to open the basic empty starter with all the stuff configured already for you. Uh, Taiga UI uses Angular 12 for now. In future, we will probably bump it to Angular 15. Uh, that's because we have 
a lot of projects that we need to support and uh, not everybody has the time to migrate to the fresh version. But uh, the next major release would definitely switch to standalone components, which would uh, decrease the bundle size for sure. And uh, uh, some other cool stuff that came up with recent Angular versions would also be available to us because a year ago, Angular was very different. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, dude, I feel like I, I'm going to have to separate some time in my calendar to actually stop and take a look at everything that is here because I definitely don't want to waste time rebuilding something that you already done an excellent job building in the first place. Um, but yeah, Alex, I think we can start wrapping up here. Um, before we do, is there anything that you would like to talk about from the projects that you're, you've worked on or anything else that you believe would be interesting to bring to the audience? Um, I think the only project we didn't really cover that much, maybe two projects, they are also in Taiga family on GitHub, is NG Polymorphous and uh, NG Event Plugins. I spoke a little bit about event plugins, but this is a topic that is not well known among Angular developers. This has actually been my introduction to tech writing. This is something I started to explore one day several years ago. Like I thought, how does Angular work with host listeners and the event bindings on the template when you write the, the brackets to listen to clicks and all that? And I started to dig into source code, figure out there's not much written content about it. And uh, turns out it's a easily pluggable system that you can expand with a lot of helpful stuff. So this is something I would probably, I would probably need to make a tech talk on, on that or something like that, because it's a very interesting topic that should, uh, that more people should know about. It can really make your life easier if you knew about it. And uh, the second library is Polymorphous. It's a thing that we use a lot in Taiga UI. Uh, basically, uh, when you want to put some content on the page in Angular, you have several options. The easiest one is to use the interpolation. You can put some string on the page. And uh, that is very static because it doesn't have any context. It's just there. And to add some context, you can use a function. Like you can maybe uh, call a function to retrieve the balance of a user, and the user will be its context. <clears throat> you pass it as an argument and return the, the balance or maybe formatted name, something like that. Uh, people don't usually like to call functions in templates in Angular, but it's actually pretty helpful if you use on push change detection and don't do any heavy operations there. Like if you just do math, logic, or strings, it basically costs like five nanoseconds. So it's not going to be a bottleneck. And uh, the more complex stuff would require templates. And uh, the most complex way to do dynamic content in Angular is dynamic components, which you can create with a component outlet. So there's not really much difference between all those four things, philosophically speaking. And uh, we've made a universal outlet, which you can pass everything into and could just instantiate it on the page. It can accept strings, can accept uh, functions that return strings, can accept the templates, refs, and uh, dynamic components. So with one single single simple API, you can use all of those things. And it's really helpful uh, if you make some flexible components because it's quite often that uh, you have a specification for some uh, button that uh, has an icon on the right, for example. And uh, after you've implemented everything, designers came back and uh, add, add an option that the icon can go on the left side. Then the icon can be interactive or other things like that, and the API grows. If you uh, code it uh, directly, trying to cover all the use cases, you're going to end up with a huge API. But if you try to work on your components um, 
kind of like you work with generics in TypeScript, try to build around something that you don't know about that is going to be provided later, like the template or dynamic component or string, then it helps you build more flexible solutions that you don't have to change that much if the specifications change. So it's a big topic that is hard to explain quickly on a podcast like that, but this is another library that I really like and uh, we use it heavily in Tiger UI. I think it was the first library that we released as that's something that came out of the development of uh, Taiga UI. And uh, this is also something that people can check out. Once you start to put your mindset uh, in, to, to think in terms of content and context instead of templates or components or strings, uh, it frees your mind from the burden of practical implementation and you start thinking about more general terms. It, it, it's really a paradigm shift when you uh, realize how, how it works. Okay, uh, I like that. And I especially like how it gives me type safety into template variables, which has been a, a headache for a, for a while now. Every time I've, I needed to declare a template to reuse part of my component, I lost the type safety. Um, but... Cool seems to me that this is the fix for that. Yeah, yeah, you can add a directive that provides the type for the, for the template, so it would be type safe. Nice, nice. And, but I got to say, the ng-event plugins, I still don't really understand um, what it solves. I was looking into it, the repository, and it says that it provides um, a more efficient alternative to listen to events that may trigger a lot, such as touch, uh, touch move, scroll, drag, and et cetera. But I really don't understand how it's more efficient than just listening to those events directly and just throttling or debouncing, for example. Yeah, you can throttle or debounce them, but you would also need to take care of uh, zone and gzone because for now, it's still in most apps. And uh, uh, you would have to write some stuff around it uh, instead of just writing the one word in the event listener. Uh, basically, what it does, that, that particular part of this library, is it allows you to listen to events outside of ng-zone. This way, it would not trigger change detection on your whole app, even if you use on push at some components, it would still, I mean, the global event listeners would still trigger change detection in your app. But with this uh, simple post fix point silent to event, it would not trigger change detection. You would be able to trigger it whenever you need it and not uh, on every event. Like, for example, if you want to load some more items uh, in your list and you scroll it, uh, the scroll event triggers multiple times per second and uh, you want to need the last one that uh, you would react to to load more items at the end like if you try to implement an infinite scroll pattern then all the those other scrolls will trigger change detection unnecessarily and you can quickly work around that by just going outside of ng zone and of course those all those things can be done with uh, from event in rxjs uh, way instead of host listeners or anything like that but it's just much more concise if you use host listener it's uh, like one line and it's very uh, familiar syntaxes to uh, syntax to other angular developers and uh, this is just one part of it because the other parts like you can call stop propagation declaratively when when you listen to event you can listen to Events in capture phase, like I said in, at the very beginning, which is something you cannot do in Angular, only in uh, manual from event with RxJS. And uh, you can expand the event listeners from Angular in any way you like. It just depends on what you need. Uh, this library has like five or so plugins that we use a lot, but if you have some other idea, we can also implement that. There the are small uh, helpers like 
click point self, for example, that allows you to listen to clicks only on this particular element, not on the its nested children, like the clicks that bubble, or click once that subscribes to event listener just for the first callback. You know, like in the native ad event listener, you have options at the end, which you can uh, make passive event listeners. You can use capture phase. You can subscribe to event only once. All of this is also supported by these plugins. So I think it's just something that is much better to show <laughs> rather than explain. But I don't think we have an option like that. Uh, yeah, but but now that you said it, and I looked again at the code with your explanation, it it made a lot more sense, and it's particularly nice. It's it's a very small little thing, but yeah, it's, it's nice. Flight, that, like, most because most of these things you can already do, but it's just much cleaner to do. It yeah, this way. and especially the stop propagation. Um. How many methods do I have that start with event stop propagation yeah. and just and you, having and you need event just for that in the call? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's nice that I can just add uh, a listener that already stops propagation. Nice. Okay, so now let's just start wrapping things up. Um, is there anything that you would like to promote? Anything that you're doing? Uh, any material that you're working on, any project that you would like to promote, you would like the audience to go check out? I think I've spoken about most of the projects uh, that I'm interested in promoting, really. Uh, I'm not doing any podcasts in future or any uh, meetup speaking, so there's nothing for me to add at the moment, but um, I hope I will jump on some conference this year maybe because I had a lot of travels last year and didn't have much time to do any public speaking but this is something I would like to come back to nice okay okay and where can people follow you where are you most active uh, mostly on Twitter X uh, so uh, I think I gave you the link you can add it maybe to the description of this video and publish it uh, but it's Twitter slash water plea. Uh, it's water P L E A. That was the name of my music project, which I uh, was working on uh, like 10 years ago when I registered for Twitter first time, but I still use that the same way. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thanks, Alex. And well, for me, I'm only going to promote uh, my company, of course, Envoid. So if any of you is looking for external help in a project or your company is looking for external help, we can either do staff augmentation, which is just extending uh, the team that your company already has and helping everyone out for a period of time, or we can do entire project outsourcing, which means that you delegate the entire project to us and we take care of it. Of course, we're giving you complete access over everything. So at the end of the day, everything is still yours. And what differs Envoid from other software development companies is that we are the only company that I'm aware of, and I did my research, that works in a performance-based model. That's not project-based. It's performance-based. It's a smaller scale, which means that we plan our sprints and we assign sprint points to every task. And the amount that we charge is based on the difficulty of each task, which uh, is explained to you in the sprint points. And clients only pay when we actually deliver the tasks and they consider it to be well done. So we're not just going to deliver bad code and say, hey, give me your money. No, you actually need to approve it to make sure that it is what you expected. So we are literally making software outsourcing risk-free for any company, honestly. And yeah, so that's basically it. If you're at all interested in that, we are currently open for new projects. Um, that might be obvious, but it's not really because we try to have few clients and not a gigantic team. Like I don't think I would be able to um, to sleep at night 
having to manage like hundreds of developers, I would probably have too much anxiety. So we don't have a lot of employees and does we don't have a lot of clients either. And that's kind of like where we like to be. Uh, so yeah, if you are interested in that, you want a company that is actually super focused on quality and works in a performance-based manner, go check out unvoid.com. That's with a U-N. So U-N, void.com. Yeah, so that's it for me. Alex, again, thank you so much for being here. Dude, everything that you have done so far for the Angular community has been amazing. Thank you so much for all of these projects that we can stand on your shoulders and just build our things on top of it. And yeah, I, I do hope to, to see you again. Please come back more often. Yeah, sure. Thanks for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.